Welcome to The Burn, Beyond Firestop. I'm your host, John Zalepka. Our show is focused on life safety and code compliance in the built environment. That puts me on a mission to find the most interesting people in this space and get their unique perspectives. Our hope is that our listening audience walks away with an understanding of how our guests and their businesses also contribute to the promotion of life safety of whatever is being built. Our show, as always, is brought to you by Specified Technologies. Since 1990, STI has been a leading global provider of innovative fire protective solutions that help stop the spread of fire, smoke, and hot gases, or what's commonly referred to as passive fire protection. And our guest today knows a thing or two about integrating great fire protection and life safety design into the built environment. And Mike Crowley is a principal advisor at Kaufman Engineers with over 40 years of fire protection consulting experience in unique structures around the world, ranging from NFL stadiums to high-rise atrium office buildings. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. Well, Mike, I don't know if you listen to the show or not, but I always like to start on a personal note rather than jumping into the whole business of things. And I want to take you back to your college days at IIT, the Illinois Institute of Technology. Go Hawks, right? Yeah. Um, LinkedIn tells me that you were an Alpha Sigma Phi. So my first question is, what was the craziest party? No, I'm just kidding. I, I see that you, I see that you received your BS in fire protection and safety engineering. Did you know that this was always the career path that you wanted to go down? Um, yeah, early on, I uh, I had a friend who was a year older than I was, and he started in that program. And, and uh, when I was a senior in high school, told me all about it, and I said, this sounds like a great career to get into. I think the one thing that I liked was there's no possibility back then of getting a master's degree. So when you had your BS, you were at the top of the, <laughs> top of the heap. <laughs> so was it more of the fire protection or the engineering that kind of got you involved in it? Well, I think it was, I mean, I definitely wanted to go to engineering school, but uh, the fire protection part of it was really, uh, it, that's where it got interesting. Our labs were up at Underwriters Laboratories up in Northbrook, sure. Illinois. We got to burn all kinds of things, test sprinklers, test, you know, uh, suppression systems. We were looking at uh, fire extinguishers. We were doing actual live fire tests. Um, this was before they had through penetration assembly tests. So we didn't do any of those because they didn't exist at that time. <laughs> so, I mean, what happened? You got to the top of the heap and then you decided to go for an MBA anyway? More school? What happened? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I got, you know, we got involved in, I got involved with a consulting firm. And, uh, you know, that was one of the things that it was more business than we learned in engineering school. So I thought, well, yeah, an MBA would definitely help. Um, so... By that time, I had moved down here to Houston, and um, you know the U, U of H had a, a night program. So uh, you know, four years later, I got an MBA. <laughs> so when you went to the University of Houston, was that a homecoming of sorts, or were you from Illinois originally? No, I originally grew up in uh, in the Chicagoland area, okay. and you know went to went there to IIT. That's how I got tied into IIT being there in Chicago. So okay. And now, so you still make your home in, in Texas, though, so I guess uh, it got you and, and didn't let you yeah. go, huh? Yeah, I think after the second, maybe the third kid, it was, yeah, we're not leaving. Uh -huh. so. <laughs> That'll do it, for sure, for sure. Uh, but let's talk about after college, all right? So you graduate and you go to work at Rolf Jensen and Associates and then Jensen Hughes. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing Rolf was the Jensen and Jensen Hughes, is that right? Yeah. Yes, he was, yeah. I, I, I'd done a number of projects with Rolf himself. He was a very interesting uh, person, to say the least. So you were there for uh, for over 30 years, and thinking back on that time, uh, what got you in the industry, was there any surprises over 
once you got in there? Was it what you were expecting coming out of college? Um, oh, there's there's a surprise every day in consulting. <laughs> sure. That's what I kind of came out with. Um, but no, I think one of the interesting twists was getting involved with you know the code writing process, um, and and we did some litigation support, so we got to see failures up close. Uh, at least the first five or six years of my career, I did a did a fair amount of fire litigation and and you know digging around burned out buildings. So I mean you got to see what worked and what didn't work, especially when you look at some of the passive systems that were out there at the time. So. So, I mean, what were some of the things that you were working on as far as the, the passive side of things? I mean, you, you'd mentioned that uh, there weren't a whole lot of those types of tests early on, but then obviously, so you were right in the middle of it as the industry was evolving, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I also started getting involved with uh, the healthcare industry. So uh, I wound up on NFPA committee, found all these other fire protection engineers on the committees, on that committee itself, the Life Safety Code Healthcare uh, Technical Committee. And, you know, from that, and as I got involved with that in like 85, so as it evolved and as it changed, um, the code changed, updated, um, we got to see how important, um, you know, passive suppression was, what worked, what didn't work, and also started adding in the active suppression systems. So, um, you know, from that standpoint, it was a it was a good training field, and then I spent a lot of time working with architects and engineers on healthcare projects because, you know, not only did they have to comply with the local codes, which they usually had a good handle on, um, they really had very little go by uh, when it came to 101 and FPA 101 and compliance, and that's required to be able, you know, to get a license and to get money from the federal government. So, you know, from that standpoint, you know we worked all that stuff in and as you know as you're doing designs you find all kinds of weird things and we look at it and say well what do we need to change in the code to make it work what's safe what isn't safe and those kind of things so you know i think we wound up with a very good balance of passive and active in healthcare um and again like i said i spent most of my time dealing in healthcare when you come out of healthcare you know, you look at some of the other risks that you do, like assembly spaces, large theaters and things like that. And it's a totally different uh, set of life safety issues. You know, you got big crowds, you got to move them. Um, and, you know, how you address them. Do you really need to compartment these things or what needs to be compartmented? You know, you have to have this giant opening between the stage and the audience because the audience wants to see them. So there's all kinds of interesting challenges to deal with when you change occupancies and sure. and you know uh, you know some people think that high rises are, are you know we've solved that problem we keep going with it but as you can see around the country there's more, or i should say around the world there's more issues with you know the this the separation at the exterior wall and the floor slab slab edge and then also the actual cladding of the buildings and things like that so there's always there always seems to be some kind of challenge there on the fire protection end of it, you know, whether it's passive or whether it's active. You know, we're looking at PFAS and eliminating PFAS from a lot of our suppression systems, so that's starting to ripple through the industry. So, um, you know, again, it's it's just been a really exciting field for the last 40 years. So what was it about healthcare that got you involved there initially? Was it something that caught your eye or you just kind of like, like a lot of people just wound up over there and you became the expert there? Well, I, you know, what happened was there was, an, there was a, an older engineer that worked for Rolf who was the committee person. 
and he didn't like going to the committee meetings. So, <laughs> there it is. Uh, he sent me, you know, and I wound up getting on the committee as an alternate and then as a, as a full committee member. And I just, I guess I just stayed there. Um, I, my wife is a nurse, so I, I also have been in and out of a lot of hospitals before. And, uh, you know, it was just one of those natural things. And then I think I did have a couple of large projects that were probably not cutting edge, but they were on the edge. Uh, we did a couple of Veterans Administration hospitals that had the interstitial deck designs, which is kind of something unique that was coming out in the 80s. Um, and I did probably five or six of those between the Army and, um, and the Air Force, uh, these interstitial and the, and the VA. So, uh, you know, it was one of those unique things where I, I had a, I'd been exposed to a lot of it. I understood the fire testing that was done and what needed to be done for that interstitial deck. So we did a lot of those, and I guess that kind of stretched me on through the 90s and then staying uh, involved with the code. Um, I got involved with NFPA 99 uh, probably in the early 90s. I had some issues with uh, some minor things in the in the code, and I figured, well, let's see who's on the committee, and I decided, well, I'll jump on. And, uh, you know, you fast forward a few years, I wind up chairing the fundamentals committee, and then I go over and chair the entire correlating committee for NFPA 99. And now I'm looking at, I'm chairing the uh, uh, medical gas um, technical committee. So, you know, again, it's just, I, I've gotten involved and I've enjoyed, you know, being involved. Uh, I like watching the sausage being made, I guess you could say, and <laughs> guiding it along. And then where my technical expertise can lay, lend in, I, I, I bring that up at the meetings and at the the proposals so yeah we see you all over the industry i mean that's kind of what what brought you to my to my attention so what are some of the things that the challenges that the industry is facing right now and kind of some of the bigger ones and how are they handling it well i mean you know one of the cutting edge ones and and it's probably it's just starting to roll into healthcare is these uh energy storage systems the mm -hmm. large ones um, you know, again, we've got all kinds of different battery chemistry. We've got all kinds of uh, issues going on. And it, it's, it's a challenge because a lot of the battery chemistry, if you overheat it, it goes to thermal runaway and you really can't put it out. Um, you know, some of the other issues that we've seen, it, there's a big one on doors. I mean, it's one of the most basic things in a hospital are the doors. And one of the biggest pains, I guess, I could see out there are the actual fire rated doors and compliance with NFPA 80 and the testing and the gaps and the clearances. Um, there was a fire test group that was done last year. Maybe it was probably 20, you know, last three years get all mixed up, but probably 2021, 20, 22, somewhere in that range. And it, it wasn't conclusive. We thought the testing that they did would give us some conclusive uh, results on how big the gap needs to be on the pull side of the door around the door. So, we're still looking for that information. Um, you know, again, the number, and when you find out how the number was put in the code, you wonder, okay, there was no scientific basis for it. They just picked the number and put it in the code. And now, you know, people are getting um, written up with deficiencies and all kinds of problems because of these gaps. And the question is, how important is that gap? And what does the true gap need to be? So, you know, it, it's, it's you know again it's not 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 trying to put down passive but it's one of those issues in passive that 
no one asked the question before, and now people are asking the question, and there's just not a good answer out there. <laughs> That's crazy how different the th those answers were, right? So it's something as simple as a door, which you would think that they would have nailed a long time ago to something like these batteries and just the runaway charge, like you said, is uh, it's crazy. So yeah. um, how about as far as like uh, I was reading something recently about labor shortage in the engineering sector. Is that something that the industry is dealing with right now and retaining key professionals mm -hmm. and hiring and things like that? Like, oh, yeah, it is. It is. It is probably as tough or tougher than I've ever seen. Um, you know, I, we we are competing heavily, not only with uh, for new graduates coming out of college, um, even people that are, you know, changing companies or changing industries, we're having a hard time bringing them over. Um, you know, all of, we're looking at all the package for uh, benefits, you know, family leave, bonuses, paid time off, healthcare, healthcare coverages, HSA, I mean, all of the different ones, 401ks, matching funds, all that stuff. And I, I think um, you know one of the one of the things that we have uh, that we always complain about as managers, I guess, is that they don't look at the whole package. They just look at the dollar that you're giving you giving them, and they're like, "Well, I want more dollars." And it's like right, that that's fine. Um, but you know, a lot of people have gone to great lengths to put together a full package for all the benefits. And you know, if you're 22, 23 coming out of college, you're right. Do you really care about long-term care? Uh, or some of those other benefits, the, the 401k and the match, you know, at, at 21, leap on it because it'll be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars in 40 years. Um, well, I mean, that's, yeah. that's a great piece of advice, but I was going to ask, my son has recently expressed an interest. He's a sophomore in high school and going to college for engineering. What would be a, another piece of advice if someone starting out in the uh, engineering field that, that you could give? Well, I, I think what you want to look for in the engineering field is you need to find a niche to work in. Sure. Um, because, I mean, a generalist is a generalist, and they're going to get a generalist pay. When you start looking at the different niches that are in there, you know, everything from uh, acoustics, fire protection engineering, corrosion control, I, I mean, all those little subcategories, you know, you have a little different talent mix than the normal engineering student coming out. And again, what we've seen is, and, and it happens quite a lot, is if you get an internship, it definitely looks a lot better on your resume. You're coming out of college with four years of college and maybe two or three semesters, you know, summer great, uh, breaks or even Christmas breaks, you know, working in the industry. Sure. Um, you know, so I think that's, you know, another thing to keep an eye out. And most schools do run those type of programs um, to get you those types of internships and experience. So that's great stuff. Appreciate that. Well, let's get caught up to date on your career path, right? So for the last two years, you've been a principal advisor at Kaufman Engineering. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means, what the company does, your work there? Yeah, uh, Kaufman is a uh, full service MEP firm, mechanical electrical plumbing. Um, and I work in the fire protection group. Uh, fire protection group started uh, about nine years ago with two people. We're right around 100. Um, so we've got fire protection engineers from Alaska, Guam, Hawaii, uh, Southern California, Texas, where I'm at. Um, and then up on the East Coast, we've got it in D.C. area in Atlanta. So we've grown quite quickly and quite large. Uh, we're one of the you know, we're one of the big supporting groups in the whole 
package of, uh, of Kaufman engineers. Uh, Kaufman started out as a structural engineering uh, company and they added services as they've gone. It's about 42 years old um, and we're still growing. Uh, we do a lot of oil and gas up, up in our California or in our Alaska office. Uh, we do a lot of Department of Defense work out in the Pacific, uh, based out of Hawaii and Guam. Uh, so, you know, again, we, we touch on all different types of construction, uh, all different types of, uh, of work. And the one thing I like, I mean, I was working for a straight consulting engineering firm that did just fire protection and safety. And uh, this one's kind of broadened my horizons. So we're seeing a little bit more detailed design here at Kaufman than I did at the other uh, the other places, and um, we're getting involved in larger teams and larger uh, projects. Maybe not as exciting projects, you know, like NFL stadiums, <laughs> but from a revenue standpoint, they are much larger projects. There's more more engineering work being done on them through uh, through Kaufman than we would have under the other companies. So, so are, are you allowed to say which NFL stadium it is since you brought it up again? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was, well, of course, it was the Texan stadium. Oh, nice, nice. Awesome. So so now you're back in healthcare, fo- focusing on that, and your website lists you as a subject matter expert. So it's always nice when someone else says that you're a subject matter expert or a thought leader than when you say it yourself. But uh, I think we saw you recently at uh, an ASHI event. Is that right? Yeah, I was recently talking at an ASHI event uh, in Houston. Uh, we had a nice little one day seminar there. I kind of covered some of the changes that happened from, uh, from, from the, uh, 2012 code, uh, NFPA 101 and 99 to the current 2021 that's out on the street. And then we did talk a little bit about the new one coming up the 2024. It'll, it'll be out on the street, hopefully by August of this year. Um, so you know, there's some good changes that we talked about. There's some changes that, you know, may cause some people some consternation. But uh, in general, I think the codes are working, at least 101 and 99 are working to make uh, a clearer, more understanding. And I think we're also looking at some of the uh, some of the fire data that's been rolling in over the last 40 years and seeing what is important and what isn't. And one of the things that I teased out of the data when I was looking at it um, happens to do with uh, where most fires are happening in healthcare. Most of our fires, about 60% of the fires are happening in kitchens. And they're doing about 5% of the damage, the d- total damage dollars. Um, but if you look at other fires and you see that electrical fires are doing about 5% of the number, but they're doing probably about 45% of the damage. So our electrical fires are... are a bigger impact uh, from a dollar standpoint and probably downtime and things like that, then, uh, you know, the kitchen fire, we have something happen under the hood, the hood goes off, the fire alarm sounds, the fire department comes in and, you know, they help clean up the mess uh, versus a, you know, an electrical room short where, you know, the fire alarm goes off, <laughs> it shorts, it does a lot of damage. And then the fire department shows up and, and, and cleans up the mess afterwards. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's pointing us in the direction of what is important. And again, this is one of those things. The code hasn't changed yet. We're trying to make some changes, so it does. So we focus on the important stuff. You know, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to uh, add additional suppression detection systems to the kitchens is probably a waste of money. 
but maybe looking at some other ways of limiting damage in our electrical systems may help. You know, again, that's that's something that's not the 2024 version. Maybe the 2027 versions of the code, they start rolling that in. But that's something we teased out of the data that, and actually that data just came out um, about, probably about three years, two and a half years ago or so. So it's still pretty open, pretty new. So you get involved very much with the NFPA codes and standards development and, and sitting on committees and things like that? Yeah, yeah. I'm still sitting on uh, NFPA 101, the means of egress, so the exiting part of it. Um, I'm also on NFPA uh, 99 uh, on the fundamentals committee, and I chair the MedGas committee. And I'm also part of uh, the NFPA standards council. So, um, so yeah, I'm pretty active in uh, the NFPA system. Um, so, you know, it's one of those... You know, just one of those challenges that uh, we're using them, and, and they're used worldwide, the standards that NFPA has uh, adopted. It's a consensus standard. And, uh, you know, the more we get people involved with the development, the better it is. I know ASHI, through their adv- advocacy, has been very vocal and has been overseeing a lot of the code development that affects uh, the ASHI members. So, uh, I mean, that's been a good thing, uh, having more people involved uh, with, the a- with the actual process so we can see and wait and make sure things are going in the right direction, that's for sure. And you, you teach people about this as well. It looks like you're also an instructor for NFPA for many years on uh, 101 and 99. Um, is that something that you enjoy doing, um, doing a lot yeah. of virtual presentations the uh, last couple of years, I'm guessing? Yeah, it's been a lot of virtual. Um, you know, it's kind of a busman's holiday. You know, I work a lot with the code. <laughs> and then, honestly, I enjoy um, I, I enjoy doing the teaching. Uh, you know, two, three-day uh, classes. Uh, you know, the interesting thing is, we get people who are novices or have never opened a code book. Uh, you know, all of theirs, all of their code knowledge has come from people saying, well, the code says this. So, you know, taking these novices through the code the first time, uh, showing them where it is, how it's put together. Believe it or not, it is put together logically and you can follow it uh, through that process. Um, the best thing that comes out of it is sometimes they ask some very insightful questions that somebody like me who's been working with this book for years, um, you know, you don't see. So, I mean, that's always, you know, when I teach, there's usually, uh, you know, one or two questions that come out from a class that, um, you know, I write down, take back, and then we look at, do we need to change the code to make this clearer or make it more applicable? Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't do it if you didn't enjoy it, and it sounds like you certainly do. I mean, uh, I, I do the two-day seminars as well for fire stopping at our corporate headquarters, and, and I love that. And sometimes you do have to remember that you've said it so many times, you know it so well, but the person on the other end is maybe hearing it for the first time. So yeah. that's great stuff. Good. Uh, something that comes up a lot that you know maybe you could help me out with here is like the differences between the IBC and the NFPA when it comes to maintaining barriers. I mean, I know the buildings are often built to code, meaning like IBC, but when they open up, that's when the NFPA 101 kicks in. Is is that right? Sometimes the smoke and fire barriers move depending on the compartments. Is How, how do you help a healthcare facility deal with that, I guess, up front? And yeah. am I completely wrong or is this? Oh, no, no. You're, you're, I mean, one of the challenges, I mean, the IBC is the building code. So the building code builds new. And when it's done and you get your certificate of compliance, it implies, implies that you comply with the code. 
you know, so all of the fire stopping and, and uh, through penetration assemblies, floor ratings, you know, joint ratings, exterior wall ratings, all that stuff should have been handled in the initial design. Um, the IFC does have a section on, you know, inspection and testing and maintenance. And, you know, again, they're supposed to be checking that, but very rarely does fire department come out and do the detail type checking. And I always like to say, all right, well, then it goes to follow the money. Well, follow the money, you know, CMS dictates what we need to comply with to be able to get federal funds. So what happens is they, they have adopted NFPA and they have adopted the 2012 code. And in there, we've got, you know, again, the requirements for new and existing and the requirements to maintain the building's requirement, you know, the fire resistive ratings through penetrations and the like. So, you know, I, I guess uh, because it gets inspected so often <laughs> through the CMS process, your state licensing process, um, if you use one of the, uh, the agencies, you know, DNV or Joint Commission or one of the others, you know, it could be annual surveys or triannual surveys. They're constantly looking at it, probably much more than would be inspected on a high rise building after it's been completed. So, um, you know, again, that's that's one of the big challenges we have is maintaining it. But again, healthcare has been one of those occupancies that they focus on uh, with this continual inspection and checking. I, I, I think that's important. It's, it blows my mind sometimes when these big high-rise buildings open up and no one ever goes back in again. So um, kudos to the healthcare industry for keep checking those buildings, making sure that they're safe, right? Yeah. <laughs> all right so uh mike we're getting towards the end of the show here it's crazy but uh the time just flies by any other trade shows or exhibits or anything people maybe can meet you how do they get in touch with you actually i i'm going to be at uh and i still have to write it but i'll be at uh, pdc in uh, phoenix uh wednesday last slot i think that's 11 a.m uh phoenix time uh we're going to do a, a review of what's coming up in the uh, 2024 NFPA 101 and 99. So again, this stuff has not been adopted yet. And, you know, if you're really upset about it, you can show up at the annual meeting at SFPE, or at, I'm sorry, at NFPA and uh, and see what's going on on the floor votes. Uh, but yeah, I'll be there uh, for that. And then I'll also be at NFPA. Uh, so, you know. That's in uh, Vegas later this year, right? Right. That one's in Vegas this year and PDC's over in Phoenix. Uh, okay. I forgot the dates. <laughs> I, I believe um, NFPA is in June in the yeah, twenty in, in the twenty and, somewhere. And what do we we've got uh, the yeah PDC is going to be the twelfth through the fifteenth. Oh, all right, awesome. Well, hey Mike, I really appreciate the time. It was a pleasure getting to know you a little bit. Yeah, great. Good talking to you, and good yeah. luck. All right, and I'd like to thank everybody else out there for listening in. We know that there's a lot of podcasts that you could listen to. You've chosen to listen to this one, so thank you, thank you, thank you. And be sure to check out the show notes. We'll put some uh, links in there about some of the things that we were talking about with Mike here. And if uh, if you enjoy the show, please support the podcast. Tell a friend about it. Uh, like a post that you see on social or maybe leave a rating or review. I'm told that's a pretty good thing. But until the next time, this is The Burn. <laughs>